This show is a part of the FM Podcast Network. Visit us at fmpods.com. When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Maybe someday you'll be satisfied. When you've lost everything, you'll have nothing left to hide. When you're through running over things like you're walking across the tracks, maybe you'll beg me like a dog to take you back. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, One Song at a Time, part of the FM Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining us this week to talk about Maybe Someday from 1986's Knocked Out Loaded is returning Bobcat and musician Adam Plitzer. Hi, Adam. Welcome back. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me again. Oh, absolutely. We had a blast talking about Clean Cut Kid from Empire Burlesque. And we're now talking about another song from that same session, those same sessions of the Empire Burlesque. You really, really are honing in like a, like a laser on this one particular era this is of, of Bob. Completely unintentional, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, we talked about you coming back. And I just said, you know what? If you would do something again from the 80s, since we're kind of still trying to excavate some of that stuff. And you picked this song. Now, We've covered this song on the show before, way at the early years of the first year or two of the show. Part And the reason we got to it so early for such an obscure song is, I love this song. I love Maybe Someday. I will go to bat for this song. I it is. I would put it in my top 20 favorite Bob Dylan songs. Wow. I just love it from beginning to end. And so I was so thrilled to be able to talk about it again. So, But why did you pick this one? Uh, so... I like to kind of do the obscure stuff in my travels, I guess. You know, it's uh, – how do I put it? You know, it's kind of like the une- unexplored corners for me. You know, there was a period where I didn't really know this stuff. And in the last couple of years, I moved to a new house, and I'd been doing a lot of housework around. And I was painting, and I was just like, I'm going to throw on a Dylan record that I don't know because I can't change it. <laughs> you know, I'll be like up on the ladder. I'm just going to let it play out. <laughs> I'm <laughs> if, committed to this. <laughs> even if it's bad, I'm not getting down to change this. So we're, uh, so I put on knocked out loaded in its entirety. Cause I never <laughs> outside of Brownsville girl. I'm like, you know, I, I hear bad stuff about this. I got to check it out. <laughs> and for the first four songs, everything was pretty justified. <laughs> but I just kind of rode the wave and then maybe someday hit. And it was like, oh, a good song. Finally, this album's, I mean, I know Brownsville Girl is on it, so I knew it was coming, but I'm like, all right, this album's existence is justified outside of one song that everybody loves. And I was like, yeah, this is a good tune. And I I didn't listen to it too closely, but it stuck with me for whatever reason, you know, like you're kind of doing busy work, but I was like, that's the other standout track on this album. And I... I'm oh, going to ignore the drifting too far from shore slander that you just threw, <laughs> but, but I, I get it. You put this record on and you're hearing they killed him track two. It's yeah. you're going, this is pretty rough going here. <laughs> you know, you want to ramble. I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's my, it's minor, but it's, it's fun. And then that song, I'm like, Oh boy. All right. <laughs> we've, re- we've really gone. We have drifted too far from shore. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the paint roller in your hand. You're like, what have I done? What, what have I committed myself to? And, you know, I always think it's worthwhile with these uh, major artists and it's kind of like a lost art. They've put out so many records that there are these like nooks and cranny records that you, <laughs> you don't hear about very often, like them, McCartney, the stones. There's like, Emotional Rescue is one of my all-time favorite Stones albums. And nobody <laughs> ever talks about that one, but it's so good. I I just have a ton of fun listening to it. There's none of the baggage that comes with like listening to 
exile on Main Street, like a museum piece, like it's a masterpiece and you have to accept it as such when you're listening to it. And like, so I find it fun to find these kinds of records and nobody really makes them anymore because everything is so considered with our major artists that mm. wait years for a major statement every time out. So there is value in having these lesser works to kind of knock around a little bit, if you will. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned Bob in relation to other artists at the time, because I think it's, and you look at the arc of his career it's interesting to look and see where he was, where all those other artists were, as you just mentioned, like the Stones or McCartney, where this is 1985, right? 86. So Bob and those guys, his contemporaries are 20 years in at this point to their rock and roll careers. And I think to that point, American society or, or the or the listening going public, I should say, is probably a better way of putting it. I, we weren't sure whether rock and rollers were meant to be around that long, you know, because yeah. like. The previous generation had kind of died young. Elvis died very young and Chuck Berry wasn't really a creative force in any real way at that point. And a lot of the other artists were sort of gone. Um, Johnny Cash was an exception, but I think we were as I think record companies and, and the, and people that listened to music were like, I don't know. Is it okay that they're still like, is it unseemly that these guys are still pumping out records? I don't know. Now, you know, it took long enough for them to age out of that to where they've, they've become emeritus, you know, legends. And now it's great that they're around. You know, it's amazing to think that, like, in just this year, we had a quote-unquote new Beatles song and a new Stones record. Like, that's amazing to think about. You're like, wow, they're still doing it. But I think in 86, everyone is like, I don't know. Are they over? Is it Should we just pull the plug on all these guys or not? And Dylan, I think that's... I think that that uncertainty filtered through his wayward muse at the time, because this record is not a great record as a record. It really is at least empire burlesque for as much as I have my problems with that record. <laughs> it has a cohesive identity. You may not like the the identity that it has, but it has one. This is just what he had lying around by his own admission. This is just, I had some songs here. I had some songs here. I'll overdub a couple of things, slap it together. Eight songs. Here you go, Columbia. Here's, you know, here's another checkbox on, on my contract. And even the cover, you know, suggests a certain kind of <laughs> slapdash approach, you know, with its uh, pulp cover that has been oriented incorrectly. So it's squeezed in a way that looks weird and the title is just kind of seems like like so the whole thing looks like it was sort of destined for the cutout bins right from the very get go. <laughs> but then, of course, like any Bob Dylan record, you dig and there's some great stuff in it. As you mentioned, Brownsville Girl. But then you've got this thing, which is so funny because it's like it's Bob trying to kind of sound contemporary. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, but that's not what 80s artists that were the big ones. Madonna, Michael Jackson, Prince. This is not what they sounded like either. So it's like Bob's <laughs> just trying to figure it out, but I love the fun of it. And I love the sheen that he, it's, it's Bob Dylan pop song artist. And I just, I don't know. I love it. I agree. I, you know, it's funny. You mentioned the production cause it does have those like signatures of eighties music, but it's definitely not as in your face as empire burlesque was no <laughs> in that way. Thank goodness. Not, you know, it's more paired. It does sound like a contemporary heartbreakers record almost in a certain mm. way, you know, like around that period, like the let me up. I've had enough era, like the real gated drums, 
I I don't know about the the gospel choirs. <laughs> oh, no, okay, so, so what's a gated drum? I have no idea what that is. It's, it's basically like a lot of reverb on it. So oh, okay. When when, okay. when it hits, you know, it's it sounds massive in the room. Basically, gotcha. Okay, okay. So I'm learning even so though it's play, playing a very simple backbeat, it's like <laughs> thunderous almost. You know. <laughs> 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 and yeah, I mean, going back to what you were saying about the time you know we thought these guys were old in the 1980s you know amazing 40 years old was unheard of to be a rock star and with mtv throwing everybody for a loop at that point bob especially you know at least the stones and mccartney kind of have like that on-camera persona that they could kind of fake it for the camera dylan Mm -hmm. only ever looks uncomfortable when he has to (laughs) fake it you know i mean we've talked about empire empire burlesque before but high connection to my heart video is just Something man, Watch that thing, and it's mental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he could. He just can't fake it on camera. He just can't. Is, He's... No, and it's funny to say, like we used to refer to these records as like the late period stuff. This is now firmly middle period. This is like first twenty years of their career stuff now, and they've been around for sixty plus years. It's kind of wild how the arc has taken us this far. We didn't know what was going to happen with these guys at that point. And now they're all, like you said, they're all legends. And we look forward to their new work more so than we did back then when we took it for granted. If you go by the ad copy for Shadow Kingdom, you could definitely say maybe someday would be considered an early song by Bob Dylan. Because <laughs> all the songs on Shadow Kingdom were, were were promoted as the early songs of Bob Dylan. And it's got a song from Oh Mercy on there. So therefore any song that precedes Oh Mercy is also an early song of Bob Dylan. So, and I would have killed another human being to hear him do maybe someday on shadow. Kingdom. I would have, been, <laughs> I would have loved it. I'd um, like to hear him approach this song again. Oh, nice. <laughs> I mean, so, so he recorded it for, apparently I, I looked at, um, Clinton Halen's The Recording Sessions book. And because, again, there's not a lot of information on this sort of period. It's I wasn't quite able to ferret out what the notes indicated when I read when I, when I read what he what he was saying about when it was recorded. It sounds like the backing track was recorded. The instrumental part was recorded for Empire Burlesque. And then he set it aside. And then when he came to doing Knocked Out Loaded, he then did an overdub, which I think means is that could be that when he recorded the vocals and the Queens of Rhythm did theirs, or I don't know, you know, I don't know if, I mean, yeah. if you're just, if it's saying it was just an instrumental, then it sounds like there were no vocals at all recorded at the first time. It's actually really interesting. You mentioned that because one of my notes here is the drummer at the start of the song has no idea what's happening during the first <laughs> first of this song. So he recorded this and kept it. That's <laughs> like, he didn't go back and like fix the drums or anything. I'm assuming he didn't fix his vocal either. I, based on what you're saying, I think the 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 Queens of Rhythm was probably the uh, the overdub that they did. He probably felt like it needed something to boost it up a little bit. But that's wild. He didn't go back and fix those drums because the drummer that has no idea. So you know how Bob tends to like just start songs or yeah, just start yep. in a random key. This is like a prime example of that on record. It sounds like he just started the song without warning anybody that it was coming. And the drummer's just sitting there trying to catch the beat. He's smoking a cigarette. Like, oh, jeez. Oh, my God. If you to listen take closely, he starts off slow. Then he starts to ramp up into the beat that will carry the rest of the song. But then he kind of does like a half measure where he goes back to the slow thing, kind of alternating between them. 
before he finally settles into the groove. And it's like, I don't, maybe it felt right to him. I mean, it, it works in a strange way, but you can't help but notice it. You know, that the drummer, like you said, probably smoking a cigarette or taking a sip of a beer or something. <laughs> Bob's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> take take one, everybody. Like, oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> it's amazing to think that the Queens of Rhythm weren't there when he recorded this, because to me, it sounds like he's feeding off their energy a little bit. I mean, they they are bringing it. And, and you know, there are other songs that they are wailing along on that I'm not as big a fan of. You know, I would say, I don't know if I need them there. But I love them on this. I absolutely love it. And to me, they are, they're just bringing up the energy to it. And like you're saying, maybe that's, that. you know, I, obviously I'm hearing it as one finished piece. Maybe if I heard the, the Bob vocal by itself, I could hear like, oh, okay, he's bringing his own energy to it. But he wanted to ramp it up even further. But I don't know. I To, to me, it sounds like they're all there together. You may be right. I mean, like you said, the notes are really slim on this. I went through the Mixing Up the Medicine book. There is nothing about this album in there. Yep. Just a couple pages on Brownsville Girl, and that's it. So that was useless. Yep. Uh, And uh, I went through the Howard Sounds book, the Down the Highway, The Life of Bob Dylan. And basically, the one quote I got that was any use was, uh, if the records I'm making only sell a certain amount anyway, then why should I take so long to put them together? Which seems to be... (laughs) the philosophy going on here <laughs> <But>. <laughs> say what you want about the tenets of nihilism at least it's an ethos i guess you it know i mean true. it's just like okay bob's just like whatever <laughs> I, I will say uh when i was you know kind of again prepping this uh, i know this song so well in the in my head like i know the i know all the words i've listened to it ten thousand times that i noticed on bobdylan.com Someone has gone and and snipped the words a little because the fourth line of the opening verse, which I quoted, is maybe you'll beg me like a dog to take you back. That's what he sings on BobDylan.com. It's maybe you'll beg me to take you back. So somebody even but like for a song as sort of seemingly forgotten as this one, somebody is still going in there and pruning it. Now, maybe that's pulled from his notes. Uh, whoever do, is, is doing the transcription for BobDylan.com had his original notes or, or however they do it. And the, the like a dog line wasn't there. And so that's just what they transcribed. And maybe Bob added that at the last second. But to me, it's funny that even a song as again, it's sort of just completely forgotten as this one is still getting tinkered with uh, at some level when it goes to Bob Dylan.com. Um, the second part of the verse, the second part of the first verse is maybe someday you'll find out Everybody, somebody's fool. Maybe then you realize what it would have taken to keep me cool. Maybe someday when you're by yourself alone, you'll know the the love that I had for you was never my own. One of the things I love about this song, aside from the lyrics, which I think are a lot of fun, is it really, to me, is it's all his performance. It's the bravado in it. It's the jamming 20 words into a line that really can't fit that many words like you feel like it's going to fall apart at any moment there's something so wonderfully conversational about it where he's just kind of running these lines and squeezing them in this space and you're like and he manages to do it every each time you feel like he's going to flood that and he does it he just keeps he keeps just barreling through and it's that's again that's part of the energy of this piece it's just so fun it is and like you said he's just such a master of rhythmic delivery as far as that goes he's just like I can't explain it. Just the way he does, I can never do it. And the fact he doesn't really sing a melody throughout the whole thing. He does hit some notes here and there that ground it back into the court, the 
eat at he's singing in it's kind of rapping the whole thing very conversational <laughs> and yet it still feels melodic <laughs> i don't know how he does it but the cadence of his voice the rhythm of it it never feels like he's just like rambling to you or talking to you or singing off key or whatever somehow it all works i i don't understand it it's it it's a mystery to me he's got a real swagger sometimes well i mean a lot of the time but 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 in this one particular i think he's got a real swagger where this song i mean i was reading some interpretations of it and some people i think got a little over their skis saying oh it's about it's about his his uh you know fall from religion it's about is it really any of that stuff isn't it just i i mentioned this again on on other episodes where i think there are songs of his where he is obviously touched by the hand of the muse you know by by the a greater gift and the create he is the vessel to which that creation happens and that is when he is creating true musical art you know again whether it's visions of johanna or like a rolling stone or tangled up in blue or or you know name any 50 masterpieces that he's written and then there are other ones that are i think pure craftsmanship right where his level of skill is so high that he can fake it a little where it's just he can sing it with some gusto it's got lines in it that are clever and funny to listen to and funny to hear and he can put together put it together with a tune that's very catchy or at least very involving and that puts it across that gets it across i don't feel like this song is um sort of you know like deeply personal to him it's a kiss off song it's a great kiss off song it's about someone who's ended a relationship and the guy's still kind of pissed about it it's either literal or figurative he's in his head he's talking to this person and saying you know someday you'll appreciate me you know, right now you don't, but someday you will, and you're going to regret it. And it's got this cocksure delivery. And I, again, it's, it's just that kind of like, he's, it sounds like something that he, and I mean this in the nicest way, he tossed off. Like, he, you know, it was like, he was just sitting around the studio and he just came up with a riff and threw some words down and said, all right, let's, and maybe that's even by you're talking about, like how the drummer is falling in. Like it really was super impromptu. It was like, oh, I have this thing. Let's try it. But we're off, we're going. And then it's three minutes later. He's like, all right, we're done. Let's move on to Brownsville Girl or whatever. It it has that energy to it. It feels like that was the only take of this song, you know? Yes. The energy of it. Yes. It feels like that was a one take and he liked what he heard and either went back and overdubbed it or whatever we were discussing earlier. He probably just liked it for whatever reason. But yeah, I think it is a great piece of craftsmanship. I think the words are clever. I don't think, like you said, there's any other deeper meaning to it, although it does touch on some of the Christian imagery, as we'll get Mm -hmm. into later, I'm sure. But uh, overall, yeah, I just think it's a good time, this song, honestly. It's just one of the really cool Dylan songs you could kind of kick back on the porch and listen to and just kind of groove along to it. I would absolutely love to have alternate takes of the song. I would just enjoy the living hell of that. But yeah, I think you get one take and it was done. Uh, the second verse, he says, maybe someday you'll have nowhere to turn. You'll look back and wonder about the bridges you have burned. You'll look back sometimes when the lights grow dim and you see a little much better with me than you do with him through hostile cities and unfriendly towns, 30 pieces of silver, no money down. Maybe someday you will understand that something for nothing is everybody's plan. Now, that line that the cities, uh, hostile cities and unfriendly towns, people have sourced as coming from T.S. Eliot's Journey of the Magi, which has the line and the city's hostile and the town's unfriendly and the village is dirty and the charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. I mean, 
I love that Bob's level of uh, of of well readedness. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a phrase, but it's so deep that even for something as sort of tossed off as this, it's still pulling from T.S. Eliot. <laughs> I'm no T.S. Eliot expert, but wow, you know, yeah. it's just like pulling that from the recesses of your mind. Like that's a cool fill-in line. I'll throw that in there. Yep. <laughs> yeah, hostile cities and unfriendly. T- okay, that sounds good. You know, all right, makes sense. <laughs> That fits the the rhythm. <laughs> yeah, it fits the rhythm of what we're doing. Uh, maybe someday you'll remember what you felt when there was blood on the moon in the cotton belt. Uh, again, I tried to figure out like, blood on the moon. I mean, that means a lunar eclipse. Uh, but I mean, have any meaning beyond that? I don't know. With both of us, baby, we're going through some kind of a test. Neither one of us could do what you, we do best. I should have known better, baby. I should have called your bluff because I was too off the handle. Not sentimental enough. Maybe someday you'll believe me when I say that I wanted you, baby, in every kind of way. I just, I just, I smile when I read these words because I can hear it. It's just so fun. And again, the line of like, I love you were saying like, it's kind of like he's rapping it a little. And especially those lines, because he's like, maybe someday you believe me when I say that I wanted you, baby, in every kind of way. And it's really that's the kind of like, he's over there. He just finished doing the, the you know, the, the, the rapping on Crush Groove, you know, he's, no, he's over there doing it. It's so, I, again, I, I keep saying it's fun. It just is. It's Bob Dylan, for a lot of people, don't, fun is not the word they think of. You know, when you think of his work, it's like, it's deep, it's meaningful, it's this or that. But they don't, I think, most people, if you played this, they'd be like, "This is not Bob Dylan." Like, this doesn't say just the 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 sound of it doesn't sound anything like you would expect from what most people know of him. Oh no, I mean, he's always been more fun than people give him credit for, and we always hold him on such a high pedestal that we're like, "He's so genius that he he everything needs to be held in a certain regard." It's like, no, he likes to have fun and you know toss stuff off too like this why not he's written 500 songs they can't all be you know (laughs) these you know like a rolling stone but it is interesting because lyrically this song is kind of similar in tone to like a rolling stone but this Mm -hmm. verse this you know it's kind of a kiss off to someone that screwed him you know and he's kind of reveling in it in a way in a funner way i will say but this verse kind of shows a more mature attitude because he's saying maybe it was partially my fault. And mm-hmm. I find those lines actually kind of honest. You know, I guess I was too off the handle, not sentimental enough, knowing Dylan, you know, the various, you know, relationships he's had in the past, his tendency to, you know, just kind of go his own way, not look back, you know, don't look back and all that. You know, mm-hmm. that could that could be a little bit of self-reflection in that moment for him that, you know, wouldn't have been there in like a Rolling Stone where he's kind of just viciously tearing this person apart. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been through a bunch of how many relationships has he been through by this point? So he's, you know, yeah, hopefully he's he's a little more mature for until Bob Dylan dot com. And I could read the lyrics for the longest time. I thought he was singing. I guess I was too hard to handle, which is why I was like, oh, that's the title he used for the concert video from around this time. That's where he's pulling it from. Yeah, like he's got that phrase (laughs) in his head. But no, it's I was too off the handle. But even that's like, what's off the handle? Like, is that a phrase? <laughs> um, but but you're right. It is this kind of kiss off. And my my single favorite part of the song, not lyrically, we'll get to that in a minute, but my single favorite part of the song comes after this verse where it's the instrumental break and then the singers come up and they do that. 
I, I again, I don't want to try and sing it, but they do that thing where like they raise their voices and they go like da 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 da, and they raise up, and that's when Bob comes back in with the next line, and oh, I yeah. just I love that. Like I feel like they're like, oh yeah, we're we're kicking it up and even to a higher gear. It's oh, yeah. so it's da da ba ba ba. Maybe someday you'll hear a voice from on high, but it's just and you're just like you're just barreling through all this stuff, and you know, like picturing like it must have been such a blast to be in the studio. Everybody trying to keep up with this. Now you said the drummer, right? You said the drummer doesn't he doesn't know where he doesn't know where to start in terms of the pattern, right? And the At beginning the start of, the of the song, yeah. I, I would, to my ears, that's what it sounded like. Yeah. So what does that mean? Again, to someone as, as completely musically un, unknowledgeable as myself, what does that, what is that? I don't even know exactly what that means. The pattern. So, well, so the pattern would just be like the basic beat that you're keeping throughout mm-hmm. the song. So if you're listening after the first chorus or the end of the first verse, when he does the first, you know, refrain at the end, then it kind of straightens out to this kind of like faster beat, like a real rock beat. At first, it's kind of like very tentative. He's kind of doing like a half time, as we would call it. Like he's playing half as fast as he would be later. Probably mm-hmm. the same tempo, but he's playing it half speed, if that makes any sense. And then he's kind of like stumbling into the faster beat as it goes on. But then he kind of pulls back again, trying to like kind of balance the two feels out to give it some kind of vibe i guess and then when he starts the next verse like maybe someday you know then he starts in on the faster thing after that and then then he kind of rides that for the rest of it he's the drums are very steady after that huh okay and and it's interesting that the instrumental break the queens of rhythm totally save it by the way because i i as a musician i wanted to hear what the guys in the background were doing as well and it's again evidence of a first take because they're really not doing anything like spectacular <laughs> throughout it you know i don't know by the way i tried to figure out who's exactly playing on this but there are about 175 credited musicians on knocked out loaded <laughs> so i'm assuming there's a couple of heartbreakers in the background i don't know <laughs> but there's you know whatever they're just trying to keep it going at that point to me but the queen's of rhythm I'm assuming Dylan also overdubbed his vocal because I think he's feeding off them, like you said, that mm-hmm. he's using them to kind of elevate them. And it's interesting because I was reading in the Down the Highway book about around this time because he was about to tour with the Heartbreakers or was on tour with the Heartbreakers. And he had the Queens of Rhythm with him, and he was very unsure of himself in that period. And he kind of used them as like his security blanket, like he was praying with them every night. He was hanging out with them and having, you know, they were kind of like, his security in a way to keep him feeling confident or keep him feeling comfortable. So using them to kind of spur him on would be very uh, apropos, I guess, in for this song, like you were saying. Mm. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I guess he felt like this, these songs needed that kind of jolt of energy uh, that, that he maybe himself wasn't quite able uh, to bring to it. Um, so yeah, they do that. They do that great part where they, they, they kind of bring it up and then Bob comes crashing back down. He says, maybe someday you'll hear a voice from on high saying, for whose sake did you live? For whose sake did you die? Again, I love the way he sings that. He's like kind of barking it out. Forgive me, baby, for what I didn't do, for not breaking down no bedroom door to get at you. Always was a sucker for a right cross. I never wanted to go home. So the last ship and the last cent was lost. Maybe someday you will look back and see that I made it so easy for you to follow me. 
So again, uh, in my research for this, people have managed to source the line, uh, forgive me for not breaking down no bedroom door to get at you, is from a 1958 movie, Separate Tables, with Burt Lancaster. I've never seen that film, so I can't, Neither have I. I, I can't verify uh, that. It doesn't shock me, as we know, right around this time, Bob was yanking tons of lines from movies, and he does it again in a... In a, in a later line in the song we'll get to that in a, in a moment um but i the line about i always was a sucker for a right cross now he could be of course be speaking metaphorically that you know the woman gave him a right cross that, that you know knocked him on his ass when he wasn't expecting it but there's i i feel like if you want to take it literally i feel like that's what's going on on the the cover is because there's like clearly one person is uh, attacking another guy, and then there's a woman who's about to smash a crock pot over the <laughs> head of the guy. So there just has this whole, like, you know, film noir, you know, treasure the Sierra Madre kind of energy to it of like, you know, there was a guy got involved with a woman, and then the woman betrays him for the other man. To me, there's just, it has that feeling to it. So every time I hear that line about, I always was a sucker for a right cross, I think about the the uh, kind of cheap Jack album cover. This thing. <laughs> That's really. You know what? I never that line fascinated me because in the lyrics sheet, it says always a sucker for the right cross. So I was Mm. like, why the? So I'm reading the lines and I love, you know, the literal interpretation of the the album cover because that's more fun to me. But Mm. (laughs) uh, seeing like the lines, maybe maybe someday you'll hear a voice from on high. Like now we're back kind of into, you know, not if not Christian, Bob, you know, religious bob mm-hmm. so i like i don't i'm a jewish person so i don't really know this stuff that well about mm. the christian period but the always was a sucker for the right cross i know like the boxing element he's a huge boxing fan i know that so there that could be an element of it as well but calling it the right cross like is there some kind of religious aspect to it like is he like always was a sucker wait what does he mean like <laughs> that line kind of perplexed me a little bit there were there was a lot of meaning in just that one little line because coming out of what was before it it's like is this playing into the religious aspect is he talking about his love of boxing all of a sudden is he talking about getting punched in the face (laughs) you know (laughs) i also love that never wanted to go home to the last cent was lost which is such a great way of saying like i'm kind of a desperate loser like i i will not give up until I've gone long past the point of no return. I just love that idea. Like, you know, you could say literally as a gambler, he's somebody that will gamble until he's, his pockets are empty. But you also say in the relationship, I'm not going to give up on this relationship until it's long past clear that this is a dead <laughs> thing. <laughs> like, again, I just love, like you were saying, it's kind of a more mature view of yourself of like, oh yeah, now I see what my problem is. You know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm just that guy. I just will not give up to the last cent was lost. It's just, Oh man, it's just so, so fun. Um, so then the, um, the last verse is maybe someday there'll be nothing to tell. I'm just happy as you, baby. I just can't say it so well. Great line. Never slumbered or slept or waited for lightning to strike. There's no excuse for you to say that we don't think alike. Said you were going to Frisco, stay a couple of months. I always liked San Francisco. I was there for a party once, which again, it's just fun to best, best line in the song. That's the yeah, line, man. And it's fun up. to sing. It's fun to <laughs> roll those words around in your mouth. Maybe someday you'll see that it's true. There was no greater love than what I had for you. So the staying in Frisco 
I was there for a party once is from the 1947 film noir out of the past starring Kirk Douglas and Robert Mitchum, where Kirk Douglas asks Robert Mitchum, you ever been to San Francisco? And Mitchum says, I was, I was there once for a party. So (laughs) Bob is just watching these old movies, hopefully on video cassette, because I like that idea of Bob going to the video store in like 1986 and, you know, bringing a stack of stack of movies. But uh, yeah, so he's he's taking things. And by the way, you know, he mentions a couple of verses earlier, blood on the moon. Now, again, that's a phrase in the cult in 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 our in our lexicon. It means, again, a lunar eclipse. But there is another movie starring robert mitchum called blood on the moon just if we want to tie it all together like that um but yeah that line it stay i would stay a couple of months i was like san francisco i was there for a party like just that kind of offhanded shruggy delivery of talking about a whole city of like yeah i was there for a party once it's like <laughs> who writes stuff like that <laughs> so do you mind if i like give you a little pet theory about my oh, about of course that's why you're here yes so i view the frisco lines as like the only real lines of the song that's actually saying to this person because if it's like it's almost like you ever have a conversation with somebody you haven't seen in a long time and you have so much to say to them but when the time comes you just can't really say it like you can't bring yourself to tell the truth and you kind of just make witty asides or like small talk yeah so yeah, like yeah, everything sure. To me, the whole rest of the song is kind of like this inner dialogue he's having with himself of all the things he'd like to say to this ex that he's run into at a part, you know, just out and about. And then this is like the small talk that <laughs> this is the only things that he actually says to her. <laughs> like she says, he's like, probably like, what are you up to? And she's like, I'm moving to Frisco. And he has this like witty line in his back pocket. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I never really thought of it that way. But yeah, I could see that. I could see this. This is a a conversation you have in your head and you, none of it is actually ever gets said. Right. Yes. I could see that. And except for that. Yeah. Um, I, I'll tell you for the longest time, like when I, when I first got this record, and I was listening to it. I really thought that in some ways, Bob was sort of like referring to, this is a nuts interpretation, but what the hell uh, that like, he was referring uh-huh. to like the entirety of the sixties as a party because it's like San Francisco was the epicenter of all that. Oh yeah. And he's friends with the grateful dead and that right. obvious, you know, so he was definitely there. Yeah. I mean, he, he never really subscribed any of to that, like the summer of love and, and hippie ethos. I mean, that was the whole thing of why he went to Woodstock and he wasn't there at the concert and stuff, but nevertheless, he is an icon of the sixties and he knows he is an icon of the sixties and whether he's on un- how uncomfortable he is with it, uh, it doesn't really matter, but he knows it. But I just thought there was something about refer maybe having the balls to refer to the entirety of the sixties as a party. I was like, yeah, that's a very Dylanist thing to do. Just kind of <laughs> sort of offhanded line. <laughs> yeah, I was there for a party once. It's just and then he ends up there was no greater love than what I had for you. And you've got the girls singing, maybe someday. And it it's just it I never I just never tire of the song. I just it just to me it's such a Last of energy. It's got all the Dylan wit that you expect from him, but yet it's, you know, as you said, it's like, it's a little bit talk singing. It's really catchy. It's just much more radio friendly than you would expect. And it, you know, Bob wasn't really getting much in the way of radio play at this point, but I, he, and I, I don't know, this probably wouldn't have been a, a hit single, but I, I don't know. I'm kind of like, eh, Columbia, maybe you could have given it a shot because it's, 
They it's really catchy, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. You know, like I said, before I agreed to do this song, I knew I liked it, but I listened to it about 25, 30 times over the last week just to kind of get more of a feel for it and get inside it more. And I never got sick of it. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a really fun song. It, it, it's there's a weightlessness to it and you're kind of it's like a great driving song i listen to most music in my car nowadays so i'd be like just driving around but hitting repeat on this song and i'm like man i feel cool right now i'm just cruising to this song and i'm i'm digging it i can't explain it but there's something about it there's some kind of tossed off magic within this song that i can't really explain it it's just a blast it's there's one a- of the most purely fun dylan songs and it should be more recognized. Yeah, you just you just used the word weightlessness. That I think is a great way of describing it. It 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 just glides, you know, like it just it never gets bogged down. There's no part where you're like, oh, all right, let me get to the part I like more. Like it just it just barrels through, and it's just full of energy and full of fun. And then it's and you're trying to and you, again you're trying to catch up with all the words that he's jamming into these slots how did he never slumbered or slept or waited for lightning to strike like and he never and he makes it sound like it was meant to sound that way yeah and this is one take one take (laughs) you know i mean good lord i just reading it out loud it was hard to get it straight (laughs) let alone having everybody behind you and everybody you know but i mean i know again maybe the queens of rhythm aren't there but nevertheless he's got the drummers he's got the guitars he's got all these and he's trying to keep all that and yeah he's never slumped or slept and waited for lightning to strike like that's that that's not a phrase that just rolls off your tongue easily and yet he gets it he nails it the first try I've always, as a songwriter, I've always been like, when I write songs, I usually do a melody first and then write the words to the melody. Mm. It would never cross my, like, I'll come up with like a set, like da, 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 or whatever. But like, I would never write something like that wordy and be able to make it fit whatever (laughs) rhythm or whatever melody I had come up with and make it sound natural. Like it's, it's uncanny how skillful he is at it. It may be his, besides his lyric writing, it may be his like single greatest skill as a singer is just like how you can fit those words like that and make it sound as if that's how anybody would say it. Can't explain it otherwise. Yeah, I've said, right. Yes, we've we've talked about that on the show. That's one of the great, I think, underappreciated aspects. You could say any part of Bob Dylan is, is unappreciated at this point, but it's that he is able to make things sound natural that I think a lot of other people, if they tried to sing them would sound horribly awkward and he can, and whether, and and whether it's sometimes it's using a really big word. The one I always, the one, the example I always use is a um, uh, proletariat from working man's blues number two, who works, (laughs) who uses the word. I, I think quite literally, I think if you counted the number of popular music artists that have used the word proletariat in a song. I think maybe you'd get two, you know, Bob Dylan, probably like one other guy somewhere, but not much. <laughs> and this is different. He's not using big words, but he is, he's jamming so many ideas in any given line. There's no excuse for you to say that we don't think alike. I mean, it just, for whose sake did you live for whose sake did you die? I'm like, is there so much going on in such, and like, again, it's like three minutes and five seconds or whatever this is. So, <laughs> Oh man, I, mean, I just—it's like oh. if there's any real proof of genius, it's not just in your great work. It's like being able to do a song like this and being unable to somehow get away 
from your genius tendencies. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. He <laughs> can't help but be yeah. a genius, even in like yeah. this kind of tossed off tune. It's like I, he's pulling from Burt Lancaster movies from 1958 out of the back of his head. Yep. You know, it's yeah, like... right, right. Something, <laughs> something so that seemingly forgettable and innocuous as this song, which is buried at the end of side one of knocked out of his probably you could argue his most forgettable record, and he's pulling as you said like separate tables and out of the past and t.s Eliot, like oh my god in a tossed off pop song it's like no <laughs> nobody else would ever think so to do this um, you know uh sad uh sadly uh this song has been performed zero times live <laughs> which is <laughs> which is such a damn shame because you think that he was on tour with the queens of rhythm up through the late 80s and so I could have seen that. I think this this would be a great rave up song to do live, but uh, no. Uh, and I could find only one cover of it on YouTube, and that was by uh, an artist named Esteban Paez, P A E Z. I don't know if I'm saying that right. And it's in Spanish, so <laughs> listen to it, and it's not bad. Like you can hear the rhythm, like you can hear the tune, and the guy, even though he's singing in Spanish, sounds like Bob. A little like he's maybe doing an impression or that's how he just sounds. But it's actually like as I'm listening to it, it's kind of like like I can hear it even though it doesn't matter. So but yeah, so somebody else liked it. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Payas liked it enough hey, to cover it. The three of us, we have, yeah. to, you know, we got it down. We're the you know, maybe, maybe someday club. Maybe this song. Maybe he just felt he could never recapture that magic energy. I don't know. I it reminds me of the plugs thing. Like, why did he ever only perform three songs with yep. them on Letterman and never do it again? Yeah. Maybe maybe it was just he loved it in the moment and could never felt he could never get it back and just said, Time to move on. <laughs> maybe so. Oh, oh man. It's uh, well, I, I'm glad it exists. It was really one of uh, when I was getting into Bob and buying all the records, this was really one of the songs that seriously popped for me. And it turned me into the hardcore nutso fan that I have become because I, I learned, you know, I wasn't like, Oh, I think I said this about, um, we better talk this over on street legal where it was like, Oh, I now don't just like the hits. I'm like in these deep cuts. So this I'm I'm all I'm all on board with this guy, you know? Oh, yeah. And this song was one of those where I just I the first time I heard it, I was like, God, that was a blast. What was that? You know, and it really and it's a song that nobody had heard of, you know, it's completely forgotten in his canon. But I was like, Man, I love it. So that's why I knew, like, oh yeah, I'm I'm all in with this guy. Cause even when he's doing something on on one of his lesser known records, he's still able to deliver something that I just say, I would put this on a top twenty list of my favorite songs is just it's so it's just such a such a blast i would put this certainly on my most replayable dylan songs like if i was going to make a a list a playlist of just songs that i could listen to over and over again of his and not get sick of it or bogged down by it this would definitely be on that list it's just it's just fun like i when i was up on that ladder and i was kind of drifting (laughs) away with those first four songs this really was like a wake-up call (laughs) like here we go this se- this record is sequenced completely wrong because the first the back four songs the last four are the best songs on the record. Flip it, I bet people would regard it better. Maybe right, yeah, yeah, um, that's he, true. Yeah, imagine it imagine. seems 
self-defeating in a way to open with you on a ramble and they killed him <laughs> he's really testing you you know you're like all right okay get to the gauntlet yeah you would think you've got brownsville girl open it with brownsville girl you know open oh, yeah. it with the masterpiece or something but yeah uh i just i said i absolutely love the song i'm so glad that you picked it and even though as i mentioned that we've covered it before i really wanted a chance to kind of talk about it uh one more time um, because again it's just i i, I it, it just I loved it in 1989, 90 when I discovered it. And it's, you know, we're 30 years later and I still love it. I listened to it a bunch of times today when I was out walking Pippa and I was like, oh man, this is just, uh, I was like, Pippa, take your time, baby. I'm enjoying listening to this really time. So thank you so much for, for selecting it. I did not, I didn't guide you towards it in any way. I just said, pick another song and you went for it. I was like, of all the ones, like, oh man, yeah, perfect. You know, that's my wheelhouse. It's going for the deep cuts, apparently. Well, I don't know. <laughs> hey, man, <laughs> this it all is works so, out. I mean, it just stuck with me, I guess. I don't know. It just popped in my head as soon as you said something. I was awesome. Like, yeah, perfect. So, <laughs> well, Adam, thank you so much, man, for coming back. I really appreciate it. It's been great getting to know you uh, on Bob Twitter and uh, having you on the on the show. It's just been these, these conversations we've had have been really fun. Well, thank you so much, Rob. Uh, yeah, I had a blast. And again, I want to thank you for having me on and thank you for the show in general. You know, I know it's ending soon and I feel badly about it. But like I was saying to you before we started recording, I really appreciate you kind of taking the elitism out of Dylan conversation and Dylan criticism and opening it up to the wider world and allowing me to be a small part of that. And yeah, I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much, man. Very welcome. So, okay, let's do your 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 last exit question, Adam, uh, which I will pitch to you as because you already answered the sessions question. That was the the first one that we talked about. Um, so let's do the album signed one, which is if you could meet Bob, and and you could get him. Let let me take out the album part. You're gonna meet Bob, and he is you'll he'll, he'll sign something for you, right? You know that that's you know he's expecting that. What ob- what album or object or whatever would you bring to get signed by Bob? Dill? What one item would you love to have with his signature on it? My vinyl copy of Street Legal. I Good love answer. that album. I I you know that was like you had that realization with this song. That was the first album where I real I was in deep with Dylan because I know I knew zero songs from that record when I first put it on. It just sucked me in. I'm like, all right, I'm in deep now with this guy because I've only heard bad things about this album my entire life. Every time I've read a criticism in like the Rolling Stone album guide or all music, I think they actually ended up revising their review to give it a little bit more of a positive spin. But yeah, that was just very special to me and I have it on vinyl somehow. I don't know. I think I inherited it somehow from another collection, but I have a copy of it and I would give it to him and I'd, he'd probably give me a look like why this album. Yeah. I, but you know what? He might appreciate that, though. He might be like, "Hey, this is one of the, you know, I don't get, I don't get handed this one a whole lot, you know." So maybe he would really appreciate. It. It's kind of like when you go up to an actor and you say, "I really loved you in some obscure movie." They might, "Oh, wow, thank you." You know, it's a deep yeah. cut. So yeah, you're right. You're right. Fantastic. Maybe he has a lot of affection for that album too. I don't know, <laughs> but maybe that's fantastic. That's a, a core anything involving street legal. I'm going to say it's a fantastic answer. So, uh, well, Adam, before we sign off, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Uh, yeah, I am a musician, as I said several times during this podcast. <laughs> um, you can find me at As Alone Music on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, my 
Twitter handle is at a putzer one. You'll see it as Adam Stanley on there. Uh, If you want to talk more Dylan or talk about really any music, I'm pretty uh, well-versed and would love to talk more music about anything with anybody. And uh, yeah, I have a new single blue shadow. It's not that new, but it came out a few months ago. It's on Spotify and everything. So yeah, uh, give it a listen, add it to your playlist and uh, reach out. Let me know what you think. Awesome. Again, Adam, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's great having, getting a chance to uh, talk to you again on the, on the show here. And of course, uh, everybody, you can find the show on Twitter and Blue Sky at Pod Dylan. And if you want to access the first 100 episodes of Pod Dylan, you can still subscribe to the show or on fmpods.com. Again, that's why you'll get, you'll be able to access uh, the first hundred of Pod Dylan's. Um, just to let everybody know there were, I did get uh, asked this question a bunch of times on Twitter after we did the announcement that the show is wrapping up, is that Pod Dylan, the show, you know, all the episodes are, st- they are staying in place. They live on fmpods.com and there they will stay. Like I mentioned, if you want to have access to the first 100, you do need to be a subscriber and you get all the other great content that's on fmpods.com. But, but the show itself, uh, everything past 100 will be available to everybody as it normally would in the show. Those episodes aren't going anywhere. So the catalog will still exist and you'll be able to listen to it on in perpetuity on fmpods.com so uh that's going to do it thanks everybody for listening and we will see you later bye you uh know san francisco don't you yeah i was there once on a party <laughs>